Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is December 16th, 2022, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Mill. The title of today's podcast is Blood on Blood, Massive Transfusion <laughs> Protocol in Older Trauma Patients. And our guest skeptic, who's laughing right now, Dr. Kirsty Chalen. She is a consultant in emergency medicine at the Lancaster Teaching Hospital. She is also responsible for those wonderful infographics that we put up on Thursdays called Paper and a Pick. Welcome back to the SGM, Kirsty. Hi, Ken. It's great to be here. Oh, you're still laughing about my intro. Yes, great. Super. So, uh, Kirsty, all set for the holidays, or are you working straight through like me? I'm working bits of them. Um, I'm not sure any of Britain is ready for the holidays uh, because it snowed. And being British, we can't do snow. Snow? In yeah. England? Yeah. Did they, did, they call in, did they call in the troops? Did the, you know, what happened? Was there a national emergency? All the trains stopped. All the trains stopped. But given that I'm talking from somebody from the Midwest and somebody from Ontario, <laughs> I should probably just park that and recognize proper expertise. Yeah, just just get on with a case. <laughs> so our case is a 71-year-old man who is brought to your emergency department by EMS, having fallen two steps at home. EMS have already splinted an obvious midshaft femoral fracture, but he continues to be tachycardic and hypotensive. After bedside ultrasound shows fluid in the right hemithorax, you insert an intercostal drain, which immediately fills with a litre of blood. Noting with some relief that at least he isn't anticoagulated, you activate the hospital massive transfusion protocol. The tech calls to remind you that your protocol is currently under review. So would you like the one-to-one or the one-to-three version of fresh frozen plasma to packed red cells. Well, Kirsty, I have to tell you, two things popped out of that case for me. One is, anytime I hear fresh frozen, I think of an oxymoron. I think jumbo shrimp, conscious sedation, old news, civil war, or how about bittersweet? The other thing is the massive transfusion protocol, the one-to-one. Well, at our rural facility, our massive transfusion protocol is, oh yeah, that's right, both units of O negative. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what their massive transfusion protocol was in this. But major trauma in older adult patients is increasing in frequency with the median age for major trauma patients in the UK being about 64 years of age. Falling is the most common cause of traumatic injury resulting in older adults presenting to the emergency department. And approximately 20% or one in five of those falls result in injuries and falls are the leading cause, the number one cause of traumatic mortality in this age group. That's right. And in the wider trauma literature over the last few years, there's been increasing concern that our practice of transfusing only patred blood cells might worsen traumatic coagulopathy, although a number of trials have attempted to find optimal ratios for transfusion components and the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma Practice Guidelines suggest a, quote, high, unquote, ratio. Little of the literature has addressed how this might apply in an older population. Well, we looked at the 
proper trial back on SGM 109 when it came out way back seven years ago in 2015. And it concluded that the one-to-one-to-one transfusion strategy was a reasonable approach to massive transfusion and seemed to achieve more homeostasis and less death from exsanguination at 24 hours. We've also looked at trauma in older patients in SGEM324, and we decided we don't yet want to use spirometry to aid discharge decisions in patients with rib fractures, and SGEM212, where we discovered that increasing age, more rib fractures, more underlying disease, and poor oxygenation are all risk factors for poor outcome in older patients with chest trauma. And right back in SGEM89, in 2014, where we concluded that identifying older patients at risk of falls is really quite tricky. It is tricky, yes. So what's the clinical question we're going to try to answer on today's episode? So our clinical question is, does the fresh frozen plasma to packed red cell ratio in massive transfusion for trauma affect survival in older adults? And the reference to try to answer this clinical question. References Holy et al. Massive blood transfusion following older adult trauma, the effect of blood ratios on mortality. And that's an academic emergency medicine, December 2022. Oh, that's right. It is hot off the press. So let's go through the PCOT. What was the population? Population is patients aged 65 or older receiving massive blood transfusion from the American College of Surgeons. Trauma Quality Improvement Program National Trauma Data Bank (gasps) from 2013 to 2017. And they defined a massive transfusion as greater than or equal to 10 units of packed red cells in 24 hours or greater than or equal to five units within four hours of arriving at the ED. And they excluded patients who were dead on arrival in the ED, patients who received no plasma, and those who received more plasma than red cells. What was the intervention? That was a one-to-one ratio of fresh frozen plasma to packed red cells. And their comparison group? One-to-two or anything lower than that ratio of fresh frozen plasma to packed red cells. All right, let's go through their outcomes. What was their primary outcomes? Ouch. The primary outcomes (laughs) were 24-hour and 30-day mortality. I can hear our other guest giggling in the background. (laughs) Maybe she hasn't seen the movie Highlander and doesn't recognize. There can be only one. Primary outcome. How about secondary outcomes? Hospital and ICU length of stay, ventilator days, complications, and need for emergency surgery for hemorrhage control. And that T on the end of PCOT, what type of study was this? This is an observational cohort study. And it is also an SGEM hot off the press, and we are very pleased to have the lead author on the show. Dr. Ray Holy is a PGY-1 in emergency medicine at Regionals Hospital in St. Paul's, Minnesota. She has a background in computer science and, with the support of her program, has been able to continue to work on research projects in residency. Welcome to the SGEM, Ray. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. So what's the backstory for you being interested in massive transfusion in older trauma patients? 
Yeah. So I actually started this project when I was a medical student and I was very uh, much considering going into surgery at the time. And I was interested in trauma. I feel like we've all kind of gone through that phase. Um, But I actually was connected into the surgery program there and they had this access to this massive data set that we worked with. And given my computer science background, I was able to kind of help come up with a question that we could answer with this data set. And that also, again, just using my background, we could really um, find a a kind of a creative solution to finding it. And so it was really a great kind of mix that just ended up falling into my lap, I'd say, but it was something that really became interested in. So here I made, I made a false assumption that you got involved or got interested in this type of research because you're interested in general surgery, because you watched Grey's Anatomy, but that is not true, correct? No, in fact, I have never watched Grey's Anatomy. And I know that makes me an outcast in medicine, but it's it's on my bucket list in all of my free time in residency. I am sure I will get to it. Well, if you ever want to come up and do an elective in Canada with me, I give residents a USB key of five core content <laughs> 80s movies to watch so the residents can relate to me and laugh politely at my jokes. And I know what you're thinking. Inconceivable, Princess Bride, by the way. But it is true. I do do this. So um, if you ever want some advice on classic 80s movies, core content, you let me know. I can give you an extensive list, but we could start with five. Good, good. I, that seems like a, a handleable number number in uh, in residency. So I'll take it. Okay. All right. You've you've heard of Princess Bride, correct? Yes, I okay. know. It. Oh. I am cultured. I promise. My parents ensured I watched all of the major. I'm not going to say old do you see- movies. <laughs> old movies. First, do you see what she did? My parents. Oh, I'm feeling so old. <laughs> all right. So let's just get on. Hey, why don't you give the conclusions from your abstract, and then we'll move on. Okay. Okay. So. Compared to all other ratios, the one-to-one fresh frozen plasma to the packed red blood cell ratio had the lowest 24-hour and 30-day mortality following older adult trauma consistent with findings in the younger population. All right. You sit back, consider watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off or The Breakfast Club. Hey, I've seen all of those. (laughs) Okay. Kirsty and I will go through a checklist for observational cohort studies and then we'll bring you back. All right, Kirsty. First question. Did the study address a clearly focused issue? Yes, it did. Did the authors use an appropriate method to answer their question? Yes, within the limits of observational studies. Yeah, so if their question was, what are the associations? Sure, not causation. Was the cohort recruited in in an acceptable way? Unsure. That depends on what was in the trauma database. Yeah, it's only good as the database that you're working with. How about the exposure? Do you think it was accurately measured to minimize bias? Yes, probably. The data in the National Trauma Database is extracted by trained chart reviewers. So that's probably as good as you get. Was the outcome accurately measured to minimize bias? Yes, same answer as previously. Okay, have the authors identified all important confounding factors? Unsure. They've identified all the ones that are recorded in the database. Going forward, there's others I'd personally like to see, like frailty, in databases like this. Was the follow-up of subjects complete enough? Yes, 
again within the limits of the database. And how how precise? How like precise were those results? The confidence intervals are relatively broad. They go from 1.25 to 2.06 uh, for the largest comparator group. Do you believe the results? Yeah, I do. Okay, do you think you could take these results and apply it to your local population? Yes, probably. It sounds as though my patient set is fairly similar to the guys that end up in this database. I do notice that you're qualifying all these with yes, probably. All right. Do the results of this study fit with other available evidence? Oh, wait a minute. Yes, probably? (laughs) Yes, they do. Oh, wow. That was clean. Yes, they do. All right. And the 12th and final question, the funding of the study. Were there conflicts of interest with this study? So we reached out to the authors to check this. And the study was done while they were all medical students. So there was no funding at all, apart from pizza and coffee. (laughs) Oh, medical students. All right. So (laughs) let's go through the results. In this cohort of over 3,000 patients, the odds of mortality increased in line with the transfusion ratio. The mean age was 73 years, 65% were male, and two-thirds had at least one comorbidity. Now, the most common comorbidity was hypertension at 39%, and this was followed by diabetes at 16% and a bleeding disorder at 11%. Kirsty, what was the key result? A one-to-one ratio of packed red blood cells and FFP is associated with significantly lower 24-hour and 30-day mortality than any other transfusion ratio. And so we'll put table from the manuscript into the show notes, and it shows the results from the multivariable regression models for covariants such as age, injury type and severity, and the comorbidities and how they were associated with the 24-hour and 30-day mortality rate. Okay, so it's time to talk a little nerdy. So we're going to bring back Ray. Um, Had a time to uh, think about any 80s movies there. Maybe I'll throw out (laughs) Goonies or um, what was the one we were talking about earlier, Kirsty, with Gizmo? Gremlins. Gremlins. You've not seen Gremlins, correct? I think it's the only one you've listed that I haven't seen. All right. But hey, it ends up in memes nowadays, so I like get at least a si- a single reference. A little a little <laughs> bit of it. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to ask you five nerdy questions. Five is my favorite number because I can count to it on one hand. My second favorite number, here's the test, Kirsty, is 11 because this one goes to 11. Any idea where that comes from, Ray? Um. Exactly. No. So, now, so now I have a second movie. I'm sending you a USB key with at least Gremlins on it, and this is Spinal Tap. So I've got two movies oh, to send you. I have seen that. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> mm, not on my mind. I appreciate you keeping your language clean so I don't lose my iTunes rating. All right. Love so the, the first question we have is about the information source. You got your information from this ACS TQIP, see how I abbreviated that whole thing? Because that was a big, that was a massive title. The ACS TQIP National Trauma Database. Uh, This might not be familiar to all our listeners. So can you tell us a bit more about this database? Does it include all trauma centers of all levels? And how reliable is its data? Yeah, I mean, 
I had never heard of this before. I had started working with it either. And it is a acronym hot mess for sure. So we had to quickly come up with some other ways to call it. And so we also called it TQIP. And it actually, this data set is the largest uh, collection of U.S. trauma data that I know of. And I think it really is the, like, the biggest one. It's a standardized data set. And each center that participates, uh, as mentioned previously, actually does have a trained reviewer that enters all of their institution's data. So would you characterize it as massive? I would. <laughs> it is massive. And it's perfect for massive studies. And truly, it's uh, something that may come just because it is so massive, can have errors in it. Everything can. But they really do work to correct these errors and prevent them. And they improve it every year. So it's a great program. So now people know a little bit more about this massive database that you got your massive transfusion information on. Yep. Thank you. That's really helpful. So nerdy point number two is about survivor bias. Now, it's possible that some patients who died early didn't get a one-to-one transfusion ratio because they didn't have time to get the fresh frozen plasma before they died, because maybe it takes a bit longer to get to the patient. Were you able to explore that at all? Do you think it might have had an impact on your results? Yeah, it's actually something we put a lot of thought into to avoid making this false association with those that would live or die really regardless of their ratio. And it it really is possible that people died prior to receiving their intended ratio. So we tried to do a couple of things here. One of them, we concluded that we should exclude the patients that died on arrival to the department in case people were qualifying and just getting units that weren't going to help necessarily. And then as for the patients that we think may have started to receive their products, but just didn't reach the their ratio, I kind of have a twofold answer. So we hope that many of the other factors in our model are helping us account for these patients that would die regardless of ratio, thinking of injury severity score, vitals on presentation. These are things that we are trying to, that's the whole point of creating this massive model and are hoping to capture those patients. And then secondly, I do think it's really important to keep in mind that all the patients that were included in our study did receive a massive amount of product. They received a, a blood transfusion that qualified for this study. And so while I think it'd be wrong to say that you patients receiving one-to-one perfectly, as in one unit of red blood cells to one unit of plasma, that would be silly to say we have to do that. But I would be hard pressed to say a patient that received 10 units of packed red blood cells, then followed by 10 units of fresh frozen plasma. I I don't think that would necessarily be beneficial and be abiding by a one-to-one transfusion. All right. Coming in with nerdy point number three, this is about clustering. One-to-one transfusions might be a marker for other unmeasured quality factors. You've analyzed by level of trauma center, but as we can see, the transfusion ratios varied across all levels. Did you ever consider analyzing whether the transfusion ratios were clustered by center as a marker of maybe one center was doing much better if they had that certain ratio compared to another center? And yeah, this is a a really interesting question. I think Something maybe we could have done, but unfortunately the database is de-identified, so we can't tell which centers they're coming from. 
But I think that's an important part of the TQIP program is that when these hospitals, when they send their data in, they actually get all the data back as well. And the expectation is that they're using it at their center to make sure they're, they are actually performing at the national standard. So it was less of our question to pick out, let's say, a region or a particular center that is maybe behind the curve, but it's it's definitely something that uh, we hope that individual trauma centers are actually being very critical with and making sure they're given the best patient care. So to clarify then, you get de-identified data, mm-hmm. but the centers who participate in this process get their own data or their own numbers compared to the overall group's numbers. And so they, yeah. they know where they are in things. Yeah, as far as I know, that's that's kind of how it works out. I actually was at a, I was rotating at a hospital when I was a med student that was going over their TQIP data one day. I just happened to be at that conference, and it was a really cool process to see uh, in real life, like a, a patient center actually going through their TQIP data and saying, "Hey, this is how we stand." Yeah, so that's similar to some of the performance metrics that uh, emergency departments give out, and they'll say, you know, to you, how many CTs do you order for this indication, and compare it to the whole group. Now, what I'm not so sure about is what's the right number mm-hmm. of CTs to give, and so, you know, you preface the saying, are they behind, or until you actually know what is the best ratio, it's hard to say whether you're doing better, worse, or the same compared to the average, so. That's one of the weaknesses of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, as a clinician, I aim for a happy mediocre all the way through. (laughs) Average and proud of it. Yep, Exactly that. So nerdy point number four, and that's about missing variables. Obviously, that you can only analyze the variables that are collected that are in the database. And I've mentioned that we would have liked to have seen a measure of frailty or something similar. Was there anything else you would have liked to see? Uh, There is so many other variables, but I think that's because I'm into data science and I just want to know everything. So the first one, I definitely would have loved to see a better collection of platelet data because then that could kind of complete our transfusion ratio. I also would love to see cause of death in there just because how are, how are we supposed to know that really the, the deaths are related to these transfusion ratios? I mean, right now it's all just kind of conjecture. Uh, and so, and then something else, I think just getting a better understanding of the timing of how these products are being delivered. I don't know exactly how uh, they would capture that and how we would go about working with it, but I think it'd be important to, to just see. That is such a good, cool point about all-cause mortality and cause of death. I mean, I think Ken and I have said on the SGM before that, you know, if you're the patient, there is no such thing as partially dead. Sorry, another <laughs> dodgy 80s quote. Mostly um, dead. Mostly, mostly dead. dead. There you go. Um, so for the patient, it's kind of all-cause mortality is the right outcome. But for us as clinicians trying to work out how to stop that outcome happening. I think getting some information on the cause as well is a really interesting way to go and can be very valuable for us. And that's, it would make it also easier to kind of prepare to things or compare to things like proper, uh, when we looked at like death by examination and things like that. Much, much better of a comparison. 
I'd be concerned though about the the fidelity of the cause of death. Most of the time, I think that the those statistics come from death certificates, and there certainly is a a fair fair amount of data saying that that's not the most accurate. Now, I'm not sure how it would apply to a subset of just saying trauma patients themselves, but uh, you know, from all comers to trauma patients. But I am concerned that trying to get the actual cause of death because we. I think we saw this in the woman's trial with TXA when they said, well, less women died of exsanguination, but it didn't uh, decrease all cause mortality. So were they just putting down a different cause of death? So I'd, I'd be careful um, about how to collect that data. That was one concern. Um, the second thing is, uh, this is about missing variables. And you talked about, yeah, I'd like to collect other data. One of the other issues when it comes to data sets is, what do you do when you're collecting that data, but you have missing data within that data, and how do you handle missing data? Uh, so did, do you have any comments on how you handled missing data? Yeah, so uh, we did a multiple imputation. Uh, so we did mice. And it was like a really, it was something I actually had not known about. I mean, I had heard about it vaguely. And so I had to do a lot of a lot of learning. And then there's some great computer science applications there. And so it was actually really fun to kind of learn about it and figure out how we're going to apply it. And uh, yeah, so and for ours, when after we ran our mice models, is what um, we call them, and now we got to graph it all and see if it changed any of the graphs and see how it uh, affected our data. And it was actually really cool to see how it didn't. I just have a visual of you running mice. Okay, mice, yeah, let's go. go. Come on, mice, <laughs> keep running, keep running. But the final thing on that point was you said, you know, as a computer scientist and interested in this type of stuff, you wanted to know the answer to everything. And it's 42. That is the answer to everything. Hey, I get that reference. Oh, that's what I was throwing out there to see if you got that one. <laughs> I throw out 42 a lot. It's a nerd movie, though. You got to, and I always say, hey, we got to go 42. It's the ultimate answer, the ultimate question. If you and haven't realized already, we are uber nerds here <laughs> on the SGEM. I think we may just have been out-nerded by somebody who described multiple imputation as fun and cool, though. Involving mice. I think that may be next level. We haven't also gotten to the part of my background where I studied classical civilizations and took ancient Greek for four years, but that's let's not go there. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Nerdy point number five. Already. Other therapeutic interventions. It's interesting to see in table three in your manuscript that transfusion ratios increased the rate of surgery and for hemorrhage control fell. Obviously, this is only hypothesizing, but did you get a feel for how those two were related? I, I mean, honestly, not, not at all, because we're looking at table three. It is our unadjusted outcomes. And so the variation would likely actually correlate probably to an unexplained factor. I mean, it's possible it's a real correlation, but it's also just as likely it's 100% confounded. And so when we look at our adjusted outcomes, I think those are the outcomes I'm most interested in. But these unadjusted outcomes kind of give us some really cool thought experiments. I do wonder about this like real life scenario where this high ratio is used, let's say a one to five, and this person decided to not be taken back to surgery, maybe. I don't I don't really know. It's kind of, uh, I'm up for the thought experiment, but I don't want to draw any conclusions. An excellent answer. So those are our five nerdy questions. Was there anything else you wanted to highlight from your this study in particular or your area of research in general? 
That's fair. She's going to start talking about ancient civilizations here. All I right, think. here we go. Eke and la pectura est... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's Latin, though. Not Greek. It's all Greek to me. And if anyone took Latin, it's this same book. That is the opening passage of Eke Romani. There you go. <laughs> Everyone knows the same Latin passage. All right, here we go. But back to this question on things I want to highlight. Number one, I think it would be wrong to go about talking about massive transfusion and not mention whole blood. Uh, transfusions, as this is something that is getting more and more well studied. It it may not be the most feasible right now in the civilian population, but I think the reason we're kind of looking at this one-to-one ratio being so, making so much sense for us is because it, it relates to whole blood. I mean, it's the closest we can get. I love when medicine makes sense. When bleeding, what do we give? Replace with the blood they're bleeding. <laughs> and then the second thing I want to highlight, being someone with computer science background, I really see the strengths and that we can draw from this with big data. And the only way we can do that is if hospitals actually share their data. We got to be able to put this information together in order to come up with these answers that are going to best help our patients. And it's something I think we all have to continue to advocate for is sharing our data. Now it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusion. And we agree with the author's conclusions. Can you give us an SGEM bottom line? One-to-one transfusion of packed red blood cells with fresh frozen plasma is associated with lower odds of mortality than other transfusion ratios. Can you resolve the case you presented at the start of the podcast? Yeah. You asked the transfusion tech to send packed red cells and FFP in a one-to-one ratio. And how are you going to take this information and apply it clinically? So I'm going to take this information back to my home institution to review and discuss our massive transfusion protocol and cement in the fact that we want to be pushing for one-to-one for packed red cells and fresh frozen plasma, including in older adults. And what would you actually say at the bedside to the patient? So I'd say you seem to be bleeding from your chest as well as your broken leg. We need to transfuse some blood to replace the blood you've lost. And we're going to transfuse two important parts of that blood in equal quantities. All right, it's time to announce the Keener Contest winner. And last week's winner was Dave Michelson. Now, he's a PA and a repeat winner. He knew the name for the scaphoid is the navicular. And it came from the Latin term for boat. It is now reserved for the tarsal bone. Scaphoid is the Greek term for boat. Kirsty, what's the question this week? The first fully documented transfusion to a human was in 1667 in France. Before even our time, Ken. What animal was the donor? And if you know the answer to this week's Keener Contest question, then send an email to the SGM at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer may receive a cool skeptical prize before the holidays. So now it's your turn, SGMers. What do you think of this episode on massive transfusion protocols for older adults? Tweet your comments using the hashtag SGMHOP. And what questions do you have for Ray and her team? Ask them on the SGM blog. And the best social media feedback will be published 
in academic emergency medicine. Thank you, Kirsty, for coming on and doing another SGEM <laughs> hot off the press. I understand you're currently working on a very special project, an SGEM Extra. Would you like to tease the SGEM audience with the topic and the guest? Yeah, it's one I'm really looking forward to, but at the same time, I'm quite sad to have to do. We are going to be talking to Dr. Michelle Lynn from Academic Life in EM, and we are going to be talking about the implications of the reversal of Roe versus Wade. I suspect that episode will get a lot of feedback. Hey, thanks, Ray, for coming on. This is great. We, we've had so much fun, and I am going to mail you a USB key with five 80s movies that I hope you haven't seen. I am so looking forward to a movie marathon. So thank you so much for having me. Well, there's only one task left to do, and that is for you, Ray, to give the SGEM tagline. Alrighty. So remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time. <laughs> <laughs>